Welcome back, nerds! We're the 12 sided guys. We have Matt playing Pine. Hi! Scott playing Roos. That's me. Jordan playing Ebby. Salutations. Sabrina playing Nari. Hey there. And me, Paul, playing Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush on repeat all day, every day. You know, just in case. Me too! Did you watch the season tonight? No, 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 It came out what, today? When we're recording. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, no. I want to, but I haven't had a chance. This time of night is when I normally watch these shows. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. The recording puts a big crimp on my uh, Stranger Things binge well, watching. Well, excuse us, Jordan. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> See, the things that we do, the sacrifices we make for you, our listeners, nerds. <laughs> I guess we're just going with nerds. We didn't wait for a reply. We're just going to go with nerds. Because <laughs> well, we, we record this before they have a chance to reply. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. our fault. Nerds. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming along with us on our adventure through the shattered world of Pavantis. If you want more 12-Sided Guys, which I'm sure you do, go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash 12-Sided Guys. You can get bonus content like the Q&A we recently did, as well as all the maps, battle maps, character sheets, and more. <laughs> yes, we recently did it. <laughs> the magic of podcasting, okay? We, we did recently just do that. <laughs> thanks, Matt. <laughs> Uh, or if that's not for you, then just keep spreading the word, either through social media, ratings and reviews, or good old-fashioned just talking to people. Also, don't forget Fanex, September 22nd through the 24th, 2022. We'll be there, so you should be too. Anyway, if it ever bothered you that you needed a special gauntlet just to hold your sword with two hands instead of one, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 74. That sounds so familiar. FF6? FF6, right. yes, exactly. I mean, the two-handed one was cool, but it was all about the Genji glove. Oh, oh Genji, Genji glove. glove. Genji glove. <laughs> Sa Sabin with the Genji glove and two claws was insane. Oh, yeah. So anyway. Oh, um, no, Sabin with the Genji glove and the offering, and then he's doing like oh. 16 hits per attack. Yes, yes, that's Broken. right. It was the offering. I forgot. Two mules pull a weathered and rickety old wagon tirelessly along as it changes from cobblestone street to hard-packed dirt. The driver, a short man with a full beard and calloused hands, looks back over the cargo stored beneath the tarpaulin, the glint of brass metalwork catching the sun where a corner of the heavy cloth has pulled up. The wagon's other occupant, a fit man in rough woolen clothing, pulls his hood forward to better hide his red skin, cover his curled horns, and obscure his dashing mustache. Bordemus slides his hand smoothly along the largest crate in the wagon, placed right behind the front bench, it bearing the most precious cargo. As driver and passenger survey the uniform tents lined up in orderly rows outside the west gate of the city of Crossroads, tension fills the space around them. Once King Tenor's army arrives from Arkelvy, these soldiers, the army of Terran's duchy, will join him and march on Tabory. Queen Kira doesn't stand a chance, Bordemus mutters to himself. The crate vibrates under his hand. Shh, quiet now, he mumbles in a pitch so soft he's not even sure if the bishop Alary hears. 
we're almost through, and then we'll get you to your people. Just be still for now. The movement stops, the bishop apparently calmed, as the mules continue their plodding pace west to Wayfield and ultimately the kingdom of Tabury. A hundred miles to the west of the knight and the bishop, we find two women in an elegantly appointed throne room. The first stands just over five feet tall and wears a white embroidered doublet and tailored pants. The simple crown on her head marks her as a queen, and the crutch under her arm belies her ferocity in combat. The other stands closer to six feet, her skin tarnished and weathered, but polished to a comely sheen, her left arm missing just below the elbow. She wears no crown, but is no less a ruler. Kira, Queen of Tabury, first of her name, and Hermine, chosen leader of the free peoples of Alil. In turn, each signs her name to the vellum scroll. They lock eyes and clasp hands as a new accord is forged between the Kingdom of Tabury and the Ormex of the Kilava, an alliance strong enough, one would hope, for these two small nations to survive the coming war. Far to the south, deep in the bowels of a temple to a misunderstood deity, Master Saemon prostrates himself before the graven image of the Lord of Swords. The two blades in the Stone Devil's grasp are a red so dark they're almost black. The High Priest no longer feels any pull to claim these blades as his own, the swords themselves seemingly content in the grip of their master's depiction. He came so close to losing himself to these relics, barely able to resist the need to take them and cut down their previous thrall, the man known as Roos. Saemon breathes deeply, draws his own sword, and reaches his mind toward Lord Laramie in an appeal to his vanity and a request for aid. And for the first time in five years, something calls back to him as his sword alights in green crackling flame. It appears the influence, the power, of Lord Laramie flows once more to his devoted followers. Ooh. Propping himself against the gunwale of the airship Crown of Cloud, the muscular form of Tristan takes in the warm sea air. To his right, Harvid, the thin, weaselly man, continues his incessant chatter. But Tristan pays him no mind. His thoughts remain three days in the past. His humbling at the hands of the blossoming storm of the western sky, the true sword of the heavens, not the pretender appointed by a new bureaucracy hoping to portray legitimacy. It had cost Tristan a workman's yearly wage to charter this airship to Tabury and the promised master of swordsmanship, the captain of the Angel's Might. He thinks little of the cost, though, as money is of little concern for the son of one of the six, the theocrats of Minarest. Tristan paid a premium to expedite his departure from Marlech, leaving the very night of his awakening at the hands of a true master. He delayed only briefly to post a letter to his former instructor, Minarest's official blossoming storm of the western sky. The letter begins simply, Father, there's something you should probably know. What? Oh, oh, spicy. Yeah. I love it. Maybe it's like a training thing. Like, you know, like you're the instructor, you're the father or the mother. Maybe it's not like a biological thing. Sus. Yeah, it could be just be like an Oedipus thing. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, ooh, daddy. <laughs> oh, gosh. We join Nari and the boys in the city of Kalta. Last time we were together, they arrived by airship aboard the Allele Eagle. Uh, they were able to see this city spread out before them. What once was a river town um, that actually... Uh, dealt with timber that they would cut and send on down the river, um, is now a coastal city, the Sapphire Sea and the Almerian Sea, having met after the shattering and actually uh, swamped a good third of the city of Kelta. Um, here we join 
Nari and the boys aboard the Allele Eagle uh, early in the morning, the sun just starting to peak up as Roos. You are still asleep in your room and you start to dream. <laughs> you start to dream. Have you considered being like a Foley artist or a voiceover artist, Scott? Because that was was good. Bruce, <laughs> <laughs> you are you're asleep and you are dreaming of something. It's one of those dreams that you can't quite you know that you're not going to remember it when you wake up. It's you have no control over it. It's very weird and kind of psychedelic. Uh, nothing really meaningful. And then you feel nobody likes my mustache in the dream. <laughs> I mean, it's so unreal. <laughs> well, you feel a change. Something about the dream changes. And you are suddenly aware of looking down at your hands. And as sometimes happens in dreams, but not very often, you think to yourself, I'm going to move my hands and your hands move. And you find that you have control. As you look around yourself, you can tell that you're in a room. You can't tell how big the room is. The walls are all fuzzy, obscured. They are not substantial. And as you gaze around this room, you turn in a circle. And when you get back to where you started, you see something that was not there when you first entered this room. You see a figure. And like the room, the fuzziness of the walls and the angles, you can't quite tell how large this figure is. You can tell this figure is wearing some kind of robe or cloak, something long and flowing something white or maybe gray or maybe black hard to tell it seems like as the light catches it the light that's coming from everywhere and nowhere it seems the colors kind of shift and change and yet it seems so natural but as you look at this figure you see this figure is turned away from you sitting at a table and you can see over this figure's shoulder there is a golden scale resting on the table. As you will yourself to step forward, you can feel your feet moving towards the table, and yet you're not actually moving. It's more like the table is sliding towards you. And this figure becomes larger, and yet doesn't change its size at all. It's a little disconcerting. But you can see on this scale, one side, is weighed down with a large stack of golden coins. And the other side of the scale is empty and high up in the air. You see this figure reach deep into its cloak or robe or clothing, whatever, and pull out something small. Bruce, make a perception check. Ooh, I'm good at those. Got a 29. 29. <laughs> you see the hand even though it's obscured and fuzzy, you can see that this hand that pulls out some object is skeletal. You see finger bones, you see phalanges, which by the way, the singular form of phalanges is not phalange or phalange, it is phalanx. Just a heads up, okay. <laughs> like the Pokemon? 
<laughs> I felt like I felt like I needed to get that out there to everybody. Okay, so so glad we learned that. <laughs> the more you know, <laughs> but it is a skeletal hand, and as you see this hand reach towards the scale, you see it press whatever was on its hand in its hand on the scale, and when it pulls its hand away, you see this small skull, humanoid, and the scale starts to tip. And you see the gold coins rise up and the skull go down until it is almost balanced. The gold is just a little bit higher in the air and the skull carries just a little more weight. And at that, the figure seems to realize that you are here, Roos, and turns to look at you. Roos, what you see, it's a face. It's difficult to look at. It's like the same with the clothing. It's like it's white and gray and black, and it keeps going back and forth. It's like chiaroscuro shading. <laughs> <laughs> I had some chiaroscuro shading. But it keeps changing. The shading and the light keeps changing back and forth and back and forth. You see delicate features on this face, but it's hard to make out specific features. And as you look, this figure motions over to you. And with your 29 perception, you can see that its left hand is skeletal. Its right hand, the one that it motions towards you with, actually has flesh and is adorned with multiple expensive and fancy rings bearing large jewels. The, the hand of a very wealthy, prosperous person. And this figure motions you over. And whether you not want to or not, you are standing next to this figure at the table. The figure reaches down, pulls up another scale. And this one, somehow you know, is yours. Roos, on one side of the scale, you see it is weighed down with two small black swords. The figure reaches over with the elegant ringed hand and takes those two swords and throws them away. And as the figure does that, you see that the scale still remains tipped down. The side that had the swords is still down. The other side still way up in the air. You can tell with the body language that this figure is intrigued, um, was not expecting this reaction and turns to look at you quizzically. You can tell there is amusement and a puzzled look on this figure's face. And then both hands reach towards you and you are powerless to stop them. And one hand reaches onto your belt and pulls out a dagger, a bronze dagger, a dagger that you remember has only been used one time and that was to cut your hand and in the other hand pulls out a broken hilt of a sword. A sword that handle that you remember was once held in the statue of Lord Laramie deep in the uh, basement of the temple of Lord Laramie. The figure looks at you and in one hand holds this dagger and in the other hand holds this sword. And as you look, the hands keep changing back and forth. The sword and the dagger, the, the handle and the dagger stay still, but 
One hand is skeletal and then ringed, and then the other hand is ringed and then skeletal, back and forth and back and forth, as if it can't decide whether the skeletal hand should have the dagger or the handle. Roos, you look up into the face of this being, and you see it raises an eyebrow questioningly, and you know instinctively that you can pick one. What do you do? I'm going to try and talk. Does my voice work? You open your mouth and nothing comes out. And you can see the figure smile and almost shake a little bit with laughter, but you don't hear a sound. <laughs> That's something else that you realize as you're here. You don't hear anything. I'm going to try and speak again, but nothing will come out. And I'm in my mind, I'm saying, God, I got to learn sign language now. You don't have a scarf of sign language? <laughs> you have to tie oh, it around man. your eyes or something I don't know that's right um, okay so there's a broken sword oh. in one hand and a dagger in the other and a raised eyebrow hey Paul you said there's a raised eyebrow how much of the face can Roos see Roos can see the whole face and yet not really make out any of it he can see delicate features probably more on the feminine side but that's it mm. well the the hilt is the, the blade's broken on that one. There is no blade. It's literally just the hilt and handle, yeah. Yeah. So And and the dagger is bronze. It is the the dagger that was used to rid you of the uh, taint of the swords. Roos will reach for the dagger. Okay. You reach for the dagger and suddenly it is out of your hand. It is in the hand of this figure. The handle and hilt is nowhere to be seen. And the figure places the dagger on the scale and the scale gently goes down and you can see it becomes more even but the dagger is not enough to balance out the scale the side that had the two swords in it is still slightly lower than the side with the dagger and the figure looks back at you and you can tell they smile and like that Roos, you feel yourself rushing back to consciousness as your eyes flash open and standing over you is Squire. Go! You gotta stop doing that. Stop doing what? You traded Evie for Squire. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I I just... I, well, that was gonna be my next question. Evie, where are you? Um, this is on the ship. This is on the beleaguered illegal illegal eagle. Yeah, I think Ebby is door in the peephole. Ebby's <laughs> on the deck. Even if it's night, he's just kind of pacing around on the deck. Okay. Yeah, Squire's standing over you. He's like, do, do what? Sorry. I, I know I told you when Ebby's not here that it makes me feel comfortable when, when you watch over me. But <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I don't like it. <laughs> a, a comfort peeper. <laughs> <laughs> I think that makes you a voyeur. <laughs> or an exhibitionist, I should yeah, say. Yeah, I think it's an yeah. Warrior would be the watcher. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know my kinks. I don't know my kinks. Is is um, that what it is, or is it? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! How did you have that ready to go just like that? Oh my gosh! <laughs> He always has it ready to go. He always has that song just in his pocket. I was going to say, you got to be prepared with some George Michael at any time, you know? (laughs) 
so squire squire sits down on the um on the bed next to you um as you are kind of sitting up in your bunk these cabins down here in the um kind of the in the hold of the allele eagle are not very big but the cabins here that you guys have requisitioned are much bigger than the ones down even further down for the for the crew um but um he sits on the bed and you notice as he sits that of course the blankets and things are not moved at all you can't feel any weight on the bed but he sits down anyway and he turns towards you and he says so were you serious back there in arkovi you know about the throne i i don't know i feel like I could probably do a better job than King Tenor. I feel like I would be a more honorable person, but I, it's not something I want to do. But if the person doing it is not the right person, then does that mean that it should be me? Well, I have never wanted it to be you, but it should be you. That's your <laughs> place. That's some serious shame. <laughs> You, I mean, he's he's never made any kind of pretense um, about his feelings for you. I know we didn't get off on the right foot, and and I know you just put up with me, but I do appreciate what you do for me. I know you do, and I need you to know that Roos Bayard, first of your name, rightful king of Everlyn, what you did in Arkovi, that note that you wrote that letter that you made sure that Tenor would find out about, that was one of the first kingly things I've seen you do. <laughs> you see a little sense of pride in him, actually. Oh, I guess the motive was more spite, but is that like a, a regal motivation? You were looking out for your people. That's true. And that's what a good king will do. But I... I was more concerned about my sister and the citizens of Tabory than the citizens of Arkleby. Well, you have to start somewhere. <laughs> he pats you on the knee and he says, well, come on, let's get up. Let's get dressed. We got a lot to do. <laughs> I mean, technically it's all Everlyn anyway. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, as you guys, as he, as he stands up, he kind of motions over to the, um, the book that Pine had gotten in the basement, the, uh, in the library of Lady Cadriel, the one that contained the genealogy of the Bayard family recovered from underneath Mason's keep. And he points it and he says, have you, uh, you learned anything yet about your family? Uh, I probably would have had time to read it in the travels. So why don't you make some kind of a check? What do you think it should be? History? I could do a history check. Ooh, I rolled well. Uh, 19. Roos, as you are looking at this book, you found the same things that Pine had seen. He'd showed you some things about um, your line and how, you know, the end of the book kind of contains the genealogy that leads down to you, Roos. And then it also shows uh, a line connecting Bree over to, um, to Roos's mother, as well as Kira and your dad and... One thing that you notice, Roos, is that there is a, a line that shouldn't necessarily be there. There's a line from you underneath Bree and Simon that connects you over to your mom and dad. So if you're looking at a pedigree chart, it would be not a line coming down from the top, but like a line coming down and over. Like there's documentation of you being raised by your mother and father. Okay. So 
that's as much as I'm going to go. That's as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> you can make an insight check and I can give you another hint if you want. Yeah, I will make an insight because I'm, uh, it's only a 15 on insight. So not great. I'll let you figure that one out. I'll let you stew on that one yourself. Okay. He says, well, we best get dressed. And uh, then uh, Squire disappears. Okay. Well, thanks for polishing my boots. You notice that your boots are not polished at all. <laughs> there's like there's like one spot on the toe of one boot that's polished, and then like but then like the rag is kind of just thrown over in a corner. Uh, all right, as this was going on, the sun has been rising, and everybody else wakes up aboard the Allele Eagle. And you are, as I recall, last time you guys had actually uh, sail, flown over to the city of Calta, landed in the kind of the, the harbor, and you are docked up against a pier floating in the water. And as you look down over the side of the ship, you can see that you are actually over the top of the part of the city that sank uh, and was swallowed up by the sea uh, during the shattering. It doesn't look like the bottom's too far with, uh, with all the ruins beneath us. Man, this is some crystal clear water. I can see through the bottom. Yeah, that yard looks like it was in pretty good shape <laughs> until a couple of years ago. Oh, such a such a waste. That trampoline was still in good condition. <laughs> I bet those kids are bummed. Their pool has expanded a little bit. <laughs> so you guys all, I guess, kind of come up onto the deck of the Allele Eagle. Are there any, like, guards or anything to greet us, or is it kind of more of an isolated landing spot? We'll say that you guys already took care of like docking fees and all that kind of stuff the night before, or like when you got in early, early, early in the morning. Yeah, how much? How much were those? Oh, ten gold pieces. We have to roll to see if we get ripped off again. Uh, no, <laughs> in a town. So in a town like Marlek, that kind of stuff happens a lot. Um, here in Kalta, this is this is a city, but it's kind of like how Tabri was a very small city. Kelta is also a very small city. It is a city-state, meaning it actually has a queen. And it kind of, quote, rules itself. Um, but it's it's not very large. Hey, everybody, it's okay. I'll take care of the docking fees this time. Okay. Who's the queen? Do we know? Yeah, it, her name is Queen Serafina. You, you've picked up that name. Cool. Right, well, I guess, unless we want to take off from here and go scour the mountains looking for a facility from the air that very well may be destroyed or camouflaged. I think we need to start asking around in town this morning. That sounds like a good idea. Where, where would we even start? If I may... Oh, yes? Uh, <laughs> apologies to interrupt. I just want to urge some caution. As a reminder, we are in the old Almerian Empire, and as such... Um, be on your guard. I'm not saying that there will be Imperial operatives around, though there may be some of those, but sympathizers to the Towers of Adjudication, it's entirely possible. Cultists to the inevitable, um, they may in fact be quite common in these areas. So definitely tread carefully in these parts. That's a really good point, Abby. Do, um... Do you, any of you have any ideas where we can start? I mean, I was simply going to go maybe hang out at a tavern and say, Hey, what do you do for work around here? Anybody used to work at that old Imperial facility? <laughs> How's life been since they closed it down, you know? Come here often? <laughs> I have found that taverns are good places to uh, pick up on the news, but maybe being slightly less obvious. I mean, Ebby, I know that when you first left 
the facility you avoided populous areas. Yes, that's correct. I'd be interested if we even just went outside the city a bit, if anything looked familiar to you. Honestly, I doubt it. I stayed in the mountains. I tried to stay as close to the thick tree coverage into the mountain regions as possible. I don't know that I could say that it was because I knew that it would be for the best, but I felt that it certainly was, um, I was drawn to it. It seemed the safer route. That makes sense. All right, well, Bruce, question for you. Do you think that um, any of your old contacts from Howling Talon, if there's like a field office here, if they might be able to help us with any information? I don't recall if there's a field office here in Kalta, but if we went to Almar, I'd be able to, to go and, and touch base with some people over there. Well, we might as well go into town and just see what we can find. Yeah, let's feel it out. Do we stay together or we split up or anything anybody's more drawn to? I mean, I could go hang out at the bathhouse if there's a bathhouse here. I'm not sure how common airships are going to be in this city. So we might already be drawing attention to ourselves just by landing. I'll look over at, toward the docks to see if anybody's staring. Um, you see, well, what you see is there's a few different ships um, that are docked up here. Um, you can see there's actually um, like a bigger ship that's actually still out in the bay that's had to dock further out because uh, for whatever reason, getting in this close is difficult. Yeah, they're going to um, scrape their hull on a two story house. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, and the water's not that deep here. But um, you do notice as you're parked here that you are not the only airship that is docked there. So the way that Calta works is that there, there's a river that runs right through the middle of the city and there are southern docks and there are northern docks. And you guys have parked here at the southern docks and as you look across at the northern uh pier you see there's another airship that has that has landed there as well um it is definitely more of a modern airship meaning less well made um and you can tell because there's like airships have this kind of um natural release of energy at least the modern airships do and so you can see like like clouds of like blue or green or sometimes like red uh, mist or or exhaust basically coming off of the the crystal engines that power them um, whereas the allele eagle is um, pretty much um, carbon neutral oh thank god nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, would we know like was queen seraphina was she a person i mean i'm assuming she wouldn't be queen but a person of power before the shattering you can make a history check cool i'm not very good at that but Let's see what we can do here. 13. Um, Queen. So just knowing how the empire um, failed, you, it could could have gone either way. Hard to tell. Um, You know that uh, just in your little bit of information you've gleaned in your travels that uh, some people rose to power here in Rakolia by uh, force of arms, some people by money, some people by name and reputation, um, so you, you're not exactly sure how Queen Serafina came to be queen, um, but... Serafina um, is a person. Serafina is a queen. Yes. <laughs> so you guys are standing up on the deck of the Allele Eagle as it is um, uh, tied off here at the uh, farthest reaches of this specific pier. And the city of Kalta awaits. Well, I think I'll go see if I can find a bath. That seems like a great place for me. I don't think we should stay here for long. 
Um, let's get what information we can. Uh, but be careful, everyone. Ebby, Ebby is vis like visibly agitated a little bit. Um, he's kind of pacing around a lot and just looks unsettled. Ebby, are you all right? Uh, I'm I'm fine. It's fine. Let's let's just get in, see what we can find, and then get out. I just something just doesn't feel right. Ebby, are you okay? Are you okay, Ebby? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Happy <laughs> are you okay? Well, I'm gonna try and find a, a gambling house, maybe somewhere we can throw dice and and see if there's anybody with loose lips. Perfect. I agree. I think I think a tavern is a great place to um, find good information. All right, Nari, let's go. Hell yeah! I'll I'll go with you, Pine. Oh, well, okay. You didn't. You weren't able to come with us last time we went to a bathhouse. Well, yes. Well, I may not still get into the bath, but you know, I'll go and hang out, I guess, or whatever people do there. We get naked first off. So, question for you, Abby: Are you familiar with how to disguise your body when no clothes are on it? I mean, I have seen people in the nude, okay. if that's what you're asking. <laughs> Mr. Pine, we see you in the nude most evenings on the deck of the ship. I'm not most people, and I should say, if two people wandered into a bathhouse looking like me, jaws would drop. <laughs> Something would definitely sag, that's for sure. <laughs> he certainly doesn't lack confidence, everyone. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so we have... Uh, Ebby uh, and Pine are heading to find some kind of a bath, and um, uh, Nari and Roos are heading towards an inn. So um, we are going to then split the party. We're going to roll some initiative, and I'm just going to kind of give you guys a quick little recap, I guess, of what you're able to find before you get there. Nari and Roos, you find out that there are a few inns or taverns in town. The two main ones um, that are actually within the city, like the city wall, would be the East Bridge Inn and the West Bridge Inn. And if you look at the city of Kelta, you can see that there are two bridges that span across the river. And on the Eastern Bridge uh, across the river is the East Bridge Inn and the West Bridge Inn is across the river from the West Bridge. So those are the two inns that you um, are directed to. Whereas uh, Pine and uh, Ebby, as you guys are asking about baths uh, and a specific bath house, um, the answer you get is that there's no specific bathhouse, but there is a place that you can bathe. Um, and uh, they point you uh, here in the southern part of the city um, to a, a relatively new looking construction. It is well built. It is uh, made out of stone and brick. And it is uh, a shrine to Lord Ornithor, the Lord of Water. Um, and you are informed that if you go there, that you can bathe. So let's roll initiative. Who's going to go first? Nari, why don't you roll? Sounds good. Fine, I think you should roll for us. Okay. <clears throat> Nari got a nat 20. <laughs> what? <laughs> or nice. they just go first. Nice. And we don't even have to worry about it. Yeah, I, I rolled an eight. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys take this one. It's good. 
So then a question I have for you guys, um, as you guys are approaching kind of the river, uh, Nari and Roos, um, you can see these two inns that they have mentioned, the Eastbridge Inn and the Westbridge Inn. They're not that far apart. They're like basically a block apart from each other. And when you're standing on the south side of the river, you can see each of them um, across the river on the north side. The Eastbridge Inn is kind of more your traditional looking, well-built inn. It has like big bay windows in the front, um, whereas the Westbridge Inn is a lot smaller, um, a lot darker, and it may not even be an inn. It may just be inn in name only and actually be just a tavern, just a place to get some drinks. So which place would you like to go? Eastbridge Inn or Westbridge Inn? I say we go Westbridge. I think we might have better luck in, in a spot that's just a tavern. I agree. All right. You head towards the West Bridge. As you go across this uh, river, you can see the water is flowing relatively quickly underneath this bridge as it empties out into the bay um, where the rest of the city used to be. And you come to the front of this, this inn. It is small. It is dark. It is one of those buildings... Um, like Cheers style, where you actually have to go down some stairs to get to it. It's like built underneath um, ground level. Is there something on top of it? Um, it looks like there's there is there is like a second and a third floor on top of this building, um, but um, there's nothing to de to uh, demark like what it is. Like there's no like door leading up there or anything. There's no staircase, um, so maybe it really isn't in. And there's a couple stories above for rooms, but it just seems really small and really kind of run down and. Um, and dirty my kind of place there you go you guys walk into this bar this inn and the first thing you notice is that the ceilings are really low there's, there's like beams that separate um separate out the room you know they hold up the ceiling above it's all kind of dark wood you can smell the smell of like pipe smoke and and uh spilled booze um there's fire smoke from like the the, the hearth it seems like the chimney hasn't been cleaned for a while because there's a lot of smoke coming in off of it. Um, even though it is um, a pro like spring and you guys are further south than Tabery, um, it's not nearly as warm here um, as it was when you were in Marlek. Marlek was more um, kind of a Mediterranean feel. And now you're more like kind of a Northern California type of a weather where in the spring it still definitely can be chilly um, and, uh, and rainy at times. And this, uh, there's this dark, relatively small common room that you come into. It seems, looks like there's a long bar and there is a um, barman standing behind the, uh, behind the counter, wiping drinks with a dirty rag. Or not wiping drinks, wiping <laughs> mugs with a dirty rag. <laughs> he wipes, wipes, wipes. Who ordered the gin and tonic? <laughs> um, you can see that there's a few people scattered around, um, but everyone's kind of sitting in like ones and twos. There's no like big groups of people chatting and everyone who's here seems to be already drinking. Barkeep, two ales, please. He nods and turns around and then he uh, turns back around with uh, two mugs. I think Nari will kind of hang out around the bar and say, we're, we're new in town. Um, any good tips or tricks about sites we should see? The bartender says, you're new in town, you're looking for places to see, and you came here? <laughs> it seemed authentic. I want the authentic experience of Kelta. Well, we have been here for a long time. Well, if you're here in town, I mean, there's always the horse races up at the circuit. Uh, we got some churches, if that's your thing. Any specific, um, like, 
churches or gods that are, are worshipped here? He kind of blows out his mustache. Well, I mean, there's that abbey over to the west of us, the abbey of uh, Lady Valley, um, which last time I described it, you can see it from the air. It's basically like a big cathedral, but it's like fortified. Um, it's got like outbuildings around it. It, it looks like a church, but it also looks like a fortress. Um, yeah, there's the abbey of Lady Valley out to the west, uh, but I mean, they don't really let people in. They, they don't let worshippers in? Oh, well, I mean, if you're a worshiper, they'll let you in. But I mean, sightseers, not so much. I mean, you got to be pretty devoted or or you got to be sent there by, uh, I think, somebody's military. I mean, they they train people there to be like, I don't know, military geniuses, generals and lieutenants or lieutenants or however you say it. Yeah, they go there, they they train there and then uh, they go back and they augment their own militaries, I think, something like that. Um, here in town, you got, there's a church to, uh, oh, what's that? What's that shield lady? What's her name? Anyway, we got, we got that one, uh, down South and then, uh, up to the North of us, we got a little shrine to the, to Erdos, I think the healing one. And then, uh, then there's that new one, the new one that they just built over by, uh, over by the water for the, the water God, whatever his name is. The water God. I, I don't. I don't know of a water god. Oh, yeah. Well, right after the shattering, when uh, when like a third of the town got swamped, and you know people were missing their loved ones and their homes and their businesses, and sank into despair, we, a lot of us, decided it was a uh, time to start maybe maybe paying a little bit more attention to him. So uh, yeah, built a shrine to Ornithor. Yeah, Lord Ornithor. That's his name. Hmm. Oh, oh, and and then there's also uh, there's a there's a shrine south of town. On the way out of town to Lady Salier. That's, yeah, Lady Salier. Uh, you know, people like to stop there and uh, make donations or whatever to, to help their travels be safe. That's, that's what we got as far as churches. I mean, the market, Feldron Square, it's not that far from here. Uh, I mean, other than that, you're talking, you're talking the forest is a hall around us. And then you got some farms and that's pretty much it. Russo pull out a gold coin and put it on the counter and say, I'm interested in some rumors. I, I don't know how common those metal men are here in the city, but I've heard that there's, I've heard that there was a facility nearby where they were coming from. He, uh, he picks up the gold coin and he holds it in his hand and then he kind of taps it on the counter and then holds out three fingers. <laughs> Russell pull out two more and put them on the counter. And he scoops him up and he says, are you one of them scavengers? I've got a, a, a close friend of mine who has a personal interest in the facility. I'm not, we're not interested in scavenging anything there. Um, someone close to me really wants to get into it though. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you ain't a scavenger, you ain't getting close to that facility. Do you have to be, um, like, are there official scavengers? Oh, no, nothing official about scavengers. Then why, why wouldn't I be able to get close? Uh, well, they won't. I mean, official's a, an odd word to be using with scavengers. They, they're, not, they're not recognized. They're not unionized. They're not a guild. It was the, uh, it was the Splunkers. They were the, the guild. But the scavengers, they're just... Uh, <laughs> How do I say the Wild West without saying it's the Wild West? 
It's the fantasy Wild West. Are they authorized or in any way, or are they more bandits? Well, I mean, there, there's a big group of them that comes in and out of town occasionally. Uh, they come in and get supplies, and they head back out to the West. But, uh, uh, yeah, they, uh, they're a seedy folk, and they don't like people poking around. Well, I appreciate you giving me that information. If you run into any scavengers, you just be careful. I mean... They drive souped-up cars, and sometimes they have guitars and flamethrowers with giant speakers. And is that what they call themselves? Are they scavengers? No, but it just it feels it feels very Mad Max. For some reason, there's a kid who throws a bladed boomerang. <laughs> no, just uh, they look out for each other, and uh, and they don't like people wandering in on on their territory. And Queen Serafina doesn't have any feelings about them coming into town on occasion. Well, when they're in town, they're on their best behavior. But there's been people who followed them out trying to see where they're going. You know, I mean, this crystal tech stuff, this is that's that's big money. It's big money. And uh, some of them come back with uh, with cuts and bruises and stories to share. And some of them never come back at all. Hmm. Could you mark on on a, on my map where the facility is or do you know? Oh, I, I've, I've never been there myself. He kind of looks you up and down, looks over at Nari. You. I mean, you two look like you could handle yourselves. I mean, if if you guys are really looking to find what they're looking at, what they're where they're at, I mean, they come into town. They've got like a they got a place they like to stay. You can go maybe check around there. Yeah, where is that? He uh he puts five fingers down on the counter, and then he puts five. And then he then he taps it twice. All right, Nari will throw him a five gold, and he <laughs> and he taps it one more time. Sir, you are taking advantage. Five and five makes ten, my friend. And then he thinks it through. He thinks it through. He starts like counting on his fingers. He's like, yeah, that's right. Five and five makes ten. <laughs> <laughs> Dari will put down another ten or another five. Ooh, and Roos will say, that does include our next two drinks, though, right? Oh, of course. Of course, sir. Of course, sir. Okay. Uh, so uh, from what I hear, they come into town, they get their supplies, and they like to stay the night um, at this old abandoned inn just outside of town, on the west side of town, kind of between the city wall and the abbey of uh, Lady Valley. Um, it's it's right on the river, so it's not on the main road out of town. But yeah, there's this inn that, uh, I mean, it used to be a competition for me, but after the shattering, I, I guess the uh, the owners, proprietors, they, uh, they like didn't survive. So it's just sat empty for the last five years. But the scavengers, I think they've been using that as their, as their little uh, camp when they come into town. I appreciate that. You've been very helpful. Much obliged. <laughs> and then he pours you another drink. Now, do you serve food here as well? You want to eat our food? <laughs> he seems a little bit shocked. He's like, he goes, he goes over to like a door and he opens it up. He says, hey, Cletus, wake up. Somebody wants to eat some food. You got work to do. <laughs> you realize that it's just <laughs> frozen stuff from Costco, right? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody knows how bars work. That's my favorite meal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are going to jump um, over um, a little ways away um, to Pine and Evie, as they um, the only place to get a bath in this city apparently is the temple to Lord Ornithor. So I guess like non-religious people are just absolutely filthy here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that people don't bathe it's just they don't go bathing together uh, okay well 
on on our way there, Ebby doesn't necessarily walk with Pine. Um, Ebby is kind of walking ahead a little bit and like peeking down alleyways and things like that. But as they go, Amarok suddenly lands on Pine's shoulders. Oh, well, hey there, buddy. And I'll scratch him behind his ears. Or I'll attempt to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amarok will, will pull his head away and in in a very clean Minarese will say, you are the one known as the blossoming storm of the western sky, correct? <laughs> kind of, yes. It's, it's complicated. Indeed. Uh, Arunshea has placed great trust into you. Do you know this? Well, yes, and I have placed great trust in him as well. And that is good. I speak with you now because times are growing more dire, and there will be a time where it is possible that the one known as Ebby will need your help. I'm here for him as always. Do you know our history? I have felt your history, perceived it. Arunshe and I are, are connected. Our, our minds have linked in, in ways that are difficult to describe to others. Well, then you, you know what we have done for each other in the past. And while I, I wouldn't, you know, I love Ebby, almost as if he were a brother or a son. And even though we, I gotta say, just sometimes I'm a little jealous of Roos, but anyway, <laughs> I love him. We all are jealous of Roos. <laughs> My ears are red. <laughs> <laughs> no, Amarok, Amarok uh, kind of quickly says, it is good that you are close to him, and there will come a day where he will need your help, though he may not willingly ask of it. Stay vigilant, and then he'll kind of alight off of your shoulder and then fly back up to Abby and land on his shoulder. What a nice little cat. <laughs> All right, you guys approach this shrine of to Lord Ornithor. Um, out front on the front of the building, you can see these fountains have been constructed that are um, just the soft little tinkle of water. Um, and you can see there are two doors uh, on, um, on one side that enter into this relatively square um, building. Um, it looks like um, it's, it's a square building and it actually looks kind of like a, almost like a cube um, going up with kind of a, um, an onion dome style top. Uh, but yeah, there are two doors that kind of go into this main area. Um, you can see that there are people, you know, not, not a bunch of people coming and going, but you see the occasional person going in and then the occasional person coming out as you approach. Do I notice if they're going in and coming out specific doors or is it kind of just look like it's either door it just it just looks like it looks like the two doors are just a just a design feat just a, an architectural feature so are, are, are abby and pine still traveling separately um i would imagine as we got closer to the building um you know abby is maybe slowed a little bit and you've kind of gotten a little bit closer and in fact abby would want to close that gap so he can whisper in your ear and say i may not get into the math with you but Consider me here as like your valet to help with your with clothing and towels and things of that nature. Well, that, that works for me. Yeah, you might be able to maybe speak with other people who are in similar situation. But I was going to say, Ebby, I know, I know, staring is kind of your thing. It might not be appropriate here. 
Whatever do you mean? As Ebby stares unblinkingly into Pine's face. <laughs> do you, are you familiar at all with the worship of Lord Ornithor? You can make a, a religion check if you want to. Either one of you can. All right. Pine rolled a 16. Oh, nice. And Ebby got a 15. Okay. You both, as you guys are kind of talking this through, kind of jogging each other's memories, um, you remember that Lord Ornithor seems to be the the deity of water that represents kind of the danger of water, the the um, the power of water. So like, you know, whirlpools, tidal waves, um, uh, like uh, uh, waves smashing against the shore, that kind of thing, a shipwreck. Um, those would be the kinds of things that Lord Ornithor is kind of responsible for, I guess. Um, so people might come and worship Lord Ornithor in order to try to keep those kinds of things at bay. Okay, so I'm, I'm anticipating going in there and just, just a big pool and everybody is walking as fast as they can around to make a whirlpool like we did when we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you worship this guy. How did uh, you know? And then, and then every, you guys and play then mermaids. Every five minutes, you got to stop and let the current carry you. Oh, I, yeah, I much prefer it. the god of lazy rivers, personally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, as you guys walk into this temple, you can see that um, straight ahead as you walk in, there's like this font. There's this kind of like bowl um, full of water. And the first thing that you notice when you walk in, now that it is an enclosed space, you can smell that this water is not fresh. This is salt water. And um, the fountains out in the front, as well as the fountains that are inside, and this font here at the at the very front uh, of the of the temple, it's they're full of water straight from the sea. Um, you can see that in the center of this large um, open kind of square room, there is a a large pool um, with stairs on all four sides that lead down into the pool. And you can see that there's a fountain on like a dais in the center of the pool that's kind of lifted up out of the water. Um, you can see that around the outside of this building, there are stone benches. And on these benches, you can see that there are towels that are laid out as well as hooks on the wall. And you can see that in some places, people's clothing are hung on these hooks. And you can see moving about the, the room, you can see people are in uh, various states of dress and undress. And it seems that people don't necessarily get naked um, but they get down to like their small clothes, their underwear, and then they will wade here into this saltwater bath as they um, kind of look at the fountain, mumble some prayers, um, and just kind of soak in the saltwater. But it's not so much a social experience. I mean, it's not like a bathhouse, but as you look around, you see that talking to others is not uncommon. Right. So to strike up a conversation is not unheard of, um, but this isn't like, hey, come here often type of a situation. Sorry, Pine. Well, that's well, you can <laughs> you just you just ruined my opening line. Paul. I was going to say, you can put that <laughs> list away. Um, <laughs> it's not going to work. For All right. Well, um, and I'll look at Ebby and I'll try to remember the name that he said he, his, he took as his name. Um, Principal, right? Um, here, <laughs> take my clothes. Uh, yes, my lord. I shall take your clothes and hang them on the hooks there as a good valet does. I'll, I'll start to take off my clothes and I'll, I'll get down to just my underwear, which is basically the, the, the onesie that Napoleon wore at the water park. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, if you have not gone and watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure after episode 69, I don't know what, you, what you're doing with your life. Go watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure <laughs> as soon as you're done listening to this. Uh, yeah. Okay. I've watched it twice since recording that episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. We did have a listener say that they hadn't seen it, and so we kind of urged them to go and listen. So. No, we bullied go. him. As we bullied him. should. <laughs> it's literally the best. As one does. Okay. Oh, man. Um, you can see that people are moving um, to go down into this pool. Ebby, you can see there are some also people that are either had already finished bathing and are have like dried off and they're now sitting on the bench just kind of looking out at the water. So there are opportunities in here for either one of you to strike up a conversation as Pine enters into the cold water. Oh, I'm going to smell like fish. <laughs> you very much are going to smell like fish. It does kind of stink in here. And you can see that in the bottom of the pool... They do a good job, but there is like algae and stuff growing here in this pool as all this natural water straight from the sea is just kind of bathing this uh, this area in sea life. Pine will look for older people who might who, who are in here. Not a problem. You see, there is um, an old man. Um, I mean, older than you, um, kind of uh, bent over, stooped. He's got a long white beard. Um, uh, he's got no hair on the top of his head. He's got kind of the pointed ears that you would expect of like um, an elf or whatever this world has uh, as far as elves are. Um, he's got pointed ears. Uh, and he is kind of, uh, you see him kind of floating on his back, resting in the water. So it's pretty buoyant here because of the salt content. I mean, you not necessarily it is more buoyant than a freshwater pool, but it's not like the Dead Sea where you can just like float just without trying. Okay, well, Pine will head over toward him. And even though his ears are probably under the water and he won't hear, be able to hear Pine, Pine will go up to him and give him a nice friendly wave and smile. Oh, he kind of he kind of uh, pops up and says, Oh, uh, good, good morning, sir. Good morning. You look like someone who knows what they're doing. Do you come here often? <laughs> he... <laughs> that line that line actually works yeah. He, says, yeah he says i i do i i come here as often as i as often as i can uh, sometimes twice a day oh well yeah i'm i'm new to the worship of lord ornithor but i'm in town and you know depend on the seas and i i figured i would give it a try you know what they say when in elmar yeah well um well welcome uh any reason in particular you're trying to keep his Wrath at bay? Well, honestly, I was just wondering what worship of him consists of and, and, and why to do it. I, I, I understand keeping the wrath at bay. This city looks to have suffered immensely over the past five years. And I, and I hate to dwell on, on the negative. I was wondering, you as a you know fellow old-timer, might tell me what life was like before the ocean encroached on this city. He kind of uh, stops floating so much and he stands next to you. You can see that the water is about, you know, four feet deep. Um, and so um, at least where you're at, it looks like it gets deeper the closer towards the center you get. And also, um, just so you know, that fountain that's on the raised dais, there's actually ladders that climb up to that dais as well. And there's a little like a little banister around there. Um, and occasionally you'll see somebody like go swim over to the banister and or to the ladder, climb up and then um, looks like they toss a coin into the fountain before climbing back down into the water. Um, the old timer, um, he says, well, I mean, we, were a, we were a logging town. We 
and he kind of shows you his hands and they're all like gnarled and, and arthritic. And he says, swing axes. We, we chopped wood and sent it down the river and sold it. And, and that's what we were known for. We were, we were a river town and now we're a coastal city. Even during the, um, the years of the empire's activity, it was still mostly lumber, I guess, heading down the river toward more closer to Alma, right? Oh, yes. I mean, I imagine they were, you know, consumers of your goods. The river used to flow all the way down and it, it would stop at, our, our lumber would stop at Lake Burden, but then we could push it all the way down into um, the Alma, the Almerian Bay, right out in front of the city of Almar. Hmm. So yes, we could get our lumber all the way down the river. Did they ever come up here and, uh, you know, meddle back when the empire was a thing? You know, uh, where I'm from, I don't know if you know the accent. I'm Menorese originally, and they, they did a number on my home country. Well, when when the city was part of the Almerian Empire, I was I was thirty when uh, the empire was formed, and uh, <clears throat> I was off in the woods and chopping trees months at a time and came back down for the winter and all of a sudden we were an empire. So, I mean, that was pretty much the extent of the meddling that I ever experienced. I mean, besides the tithes and, and taxes, that kind of thing, but, hmm. but no life under the empire wasn't so bad. I mean, I knew what to expect now. And then he kind of looks, you can tell he's looking East towards the Bay. It's like now who knows what to expect anymore? World's all on its head. I understand. Being out there in the woods for months at a time, you probably came across some very interesting things. Any uh, interesting stories or anything out there that might be of interest to a visitor? Well, I was out logging those forests for decades. I never saw anything too out of the ordinary. You know, the occasional pack of wolves or gobloid that wanted to do us harm, but there were always enough of us that, you know, we were never in any real danger. Yeah, those carbloids are the worst. Yes. Yeah. Well, I could think of worse. <laughs> I can't I can't think I can't imagine why anybody would ever like think they were cute or or uh, have like a gobloid be their favorite character in a popular podcast. I it blows my mind as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, back then, I mean, things were relatively safe. Uh, you know, I I quit logging, I don't know, a decade or more ago. You know, years before the shattering. But from what I hear, the forest forest isn't as safe as it used to be. Oh, really? Is it falcon wolves? It's <laughs> never falcon wolves, but one day it's going to be falcon wolves. I don't know. Are you having a stroke? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do taste almonds. <laughs> oh, gosh. Here close to town, I mean, the forest grows up all around Kelta. It's It's you know, to the north of us, to the south of us. It used to be to the east of us, but now that's just sea. But it's definitely to the west of us. But, I mean, here, close to the city, there, there's a, an old ruin that, you know, pre-shattering, people would go and have picnics there, and <sighs> they would, um, you know, spend some time just exploring the, the fallen stones. You know, you'd get the occasional scavenger or, you know, or splunker over there trying to see if there's anything you know, beneath the ruins looking for their crystal tech, but I don't think anyone ever found anything, but, but, but now, peaceful and serene, like the, uh, like the temple of time upon the high, high plateau. I, 
again, I think you need to see a healthcare professional. (laughs) Is that a temple of (laughs) Erdos? I imagine, I mean, out of character, I imagine this, like, you know, the pastoral paintings that you see of like people dressed up very nicely, you know, out having picnics in old Roman ruins. That's basically what it's, what it's kind of like, except okay. it's in the forest, right? He says, but what I hear lately is, I mean, nobody can get near those ruins, at least not, not individually. There's, there's something out there, something, hmm. something big. Something stopping them. Well, has anybody been hurt? Has anybody, or are they just like they come running back saying, "Don't go in the woods," type thing? Oh, from from what I hear, there were people who went out into the woods, you know, to go and um, e- explore, you know, just kind of take their minds off of the troubles of everything that's happened since the shattering, and and they came back saying there was something, something big, something moving in the forest, something growling, something threatening, hmm. and you know. Um, Queen Serafina sent uh, an armed battalion into the forest and, and, and couldn't find anything. Hmm. But people dare not venture out into those woods alone or in small groups. And once Queen Serafina's men found nothing, I don't think that they've ever gone back in. And now people just, just avoid that section of the forest. It's, it's not far from the city. Hmm. The forest is maybe a mile from the city and the ruins are maybe a half a mile into the forest is all. It's, it's very, very close. So how something that big, that dangerous, that scary can be so close to our city. And I, I, guess, I guess it's still there. Interesting. What, what direction is that? Uh, that's southwest, southwest of here. Hmm. Well, it might be interesting for someone. Apparently, if, if other scavenging scavenging opportunities are closed to me because of dangerous people maybe i'll maybe i'll brave the uh the dangerous ruins instead <laughs> he kind of laughs he's like i would rather face something that i knew like scavengers than than the unknown like whatever mm. beast is out there in the woods it's probably a frog have you ever seen a frog <laughs> before you know they're, they're they're tiny little things well some of them are big and ugly but you know they could all fit in the in your hand and they make such a loud noise like if i didn't if i didn't know about frogs and i just heard a frog i think i'd be pretty scared <laughs> i know about frogs we know about <laughs> frogs here it's are not you sure? Are you, okay, so they, they puff out the throat sacks and make this really <laughs> deep... Are you sure you... Okay, well... I think... Uh, are we thinking of the same thing? <laughs> from, from what I've heard, you can hear the trees creaking and being pushed aside. Ooh. And then glimpses of something. Something big. And, I mean... Perhaps it's a frog because what I heard it was something green, but nobody has gotten a a clear look. I would avoid that section of forest were I you, traveler. In fact, I would avoid the forest altogether. Don't, don't waste your time on the scavengers or the forest. It's, it's not as safe as it was before the shattering. Hmm. That shattering really screwed things up, huh? You see his gaze kind of get a little bit distant and a little tear forms in his eye and he goes, yes, it did. (sighs) And with that, Pine is once again contemplating the decision that the party made to stop the crystal engine 
and wondering if it was the right choice. And then he stops himself, he gathers himself, because there is, well, we haven't discovered a form of time travel yet, so there's no <laughs> way to change it. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with anybody listening right now. Um, I, Paul, am not smart enough to wrap my head around time travel, so I probably won't be adding it into the, into the podcast. <laughs> we can always just do like, uh, you know, how the Avengers did it, where you go back in time, but it doesn't change your actual time. Just make it easy. That's not how time travel works. Oh, gosh. Yeah, the continuity, the continuity. <laughs> you know, I, I may look old, and I am old, but... uh I was thinking of trying my hand at this splunking thing before I go. You know, bucket list thing. Uh, he says, oh, you've, uh, old timer, you need to stay away from, from the scavengers. Oh, yes. And why so? Yeah, they're a dangerous lot. Hmm. Yeah, they, they don't cause trouble here, but you hear the stories. You hear the rumors. If you got any crystal tech on you, I would keep it well hidden. <laughs> I don't know how crystal tech works. Come on. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Let's bond over that. This newfangled technology. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, well, while you're having this conversation, Pine, Ebby, are you, what are you doing as you're kind of sitting outside of this large uh, pool? So Ebby is going to walk up to if there's other valets or servants or people along the side. Yeah. And see if he can find those. I guess, are there any? So, um, yes, there are. And as you're kind of looking around to see the other servants, you see like two or three servants on your side. And then across the way on the far side of the temple, you see another servant. And then you see um, a deacon holding some clothes with red eyes. Interesting. Um, I guess first I will walk over to just some of the non-deacon servants that are there. And I guess to kind of clarify, of course, Ebby has his disguised self up and active after leaving the airship. I assume so, yeah, yeah. Um, he walks up to these individuals and he says, Salutations. My name is Principal Bartemius Carl Pates III, Esquire, valid <laughs> to the Lord of the Blossoming Storm. And who might you be? Wait, can I just say, well, the whole time I was talking, you were writing that name, right? You were trying to figure out the best name. <laughs> no. No, there's, there's a whole story. Pocket? Yeah, there's a whole story behind, I mean, Pranceful and Bartemius. I mean, come on, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Those are given. But Carl Pates III, that's a, there's there's some background there on what that one. What about the Esquire, though? Do you have a law degree that we don't know about? Uh, well, I mean, Bill and Ted. <laughs> You give this super long name, and then he just goes, oh, I'm Ivar. Ah, greetings, Ivar. And uh, with whom might you be? Uh, he points down there into the into the pool, and he says, well, I'm, I'm here with the prince. And you can see that there is a, a young man, probably 14 or 15, just kind of drifting in the water, looking up at the fountain. Um, you can make a perception check. But he is thin. He looks like he's kind of small for his age. But you can see like the hints of like a mustache just starting to form, which is why you're kind of assuming right there at like that 14, 15 years old. Got it. I, um, perception was 22. 22. You just want to see how awkward his mustache looked if it would grow into something like Rusus. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, the no. makings of greatness. What was your perception check again? A 22. You, as you're looking at this this youth in the water... You can see his mouth is moving and um, he keeps kind of closing his eyes 
and you get the um, impression this this youth is very devout in their worship of Lord Ornithor. Oh. Incredibly devout. And as you think back on, um, I'm going to give you a little insight check here too, just because um, this kid was probably like eight or nine when the shattering happened, which is a very young age to deal with something that traumatic. Um, and this kid is now like grasping on to this worship of Lord Ornithor. It would appear that he um, he is quite devoted in his faith. Yes, he can, the the servant um, Ivar kind of says, "Yes, we all are." That is good. Uh, it, tell me, is is worship of the the holy angels still something that is common here within the uh, old Almerian Empire? We are traveling from afar, and so uh, just passing through. He he doesn't get uncomfortable. Okay, he gets a little uncomfortable, but uh, make an insight check. Uh, a 12. He kind of starts looking left to right and kind of shifting from his from one foot to the other. Well, worship of Lord Ornithor has definitely uh, become the thing to do here. It surpassed the worship of the angel. You'll still find people who worship the angel, but he kind of leans in close to you and he kind of whispers. He says, worship the, of the angel was never really that big here. We're we're kind of far removed from the city of Almar. Of course. And, and, and that is fine and to be expected. As we and his lordship have traveled across the face of Pavantis, uh, as one might understand, there are customs and religions that uh, pertain to each individual location. And uh, in many ways, these can all dwell, we feel, in unity, uh, as the angel blesses, of course. Well, it is it is a pleasure to meet you. I was curious, you know, I see over there on the far side that there is a deacon. Are there many of those here in this region? He glances over and he kind of shakes his head and says, no, no, not so many here anymore. Um, further south, I, I hear that there's more the further south you go towards Almar. Ah, well, of course. you know, And of course I, up I, in Barton. In Barton? How far away is Barton? Oh, Barton is to the north. I don't know, four or five days travel. Interesting. Barton's much bigger than Kelta. The impression you get is like, ooh, Barton is like the big city. Like if you're if you live in Kelta and you're going to go to the big city, you're going to go to Barton. Um, it's uh, it's closer than Almar. Got it. Well, that's good to know. You see, uh, m- my lordship and I, uh, we we find ourselves uh, uh, in the market for the right type of help to potentially see if we can acquire some. And so um, I was just curious if there were more of those here in Calto or if anyone uh, traded in them, if you might be aware of any. But it sounds like perhaps that's not something uh, that you'd be familiar with here. Let me make a quick check. He gets a little closer to you, Ebby, and he kind of whispers and he says, there are a few. And uh, if you're looking to get your hands on some, the man who owns the deacons here in town, he's like looking left and right, like kind of like he's letting you on this big secret. If you're looking to get some, he, he doesn't sell them, but the guy is a gambler. I bet for the right price, you could bet on the races and he might be willing to wager a deacon or two. Oh, fascinating. Well, that would be a, um, a rather interesting proposition. And then he says, just whatever you do, don't bet against the prince. And he motions down again to the prince who's floating in the water, the slight, slender young man. The prince is good. The best racer in town. 
he's the best now, but has he ever raced against a giant land penguin? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not there. I'm thinking of the N64 track with the penguins. Oh my gosh, did they get in your way? Come on, come on. (laughs) Okay, so um, Pine, you are floating in the water. You finish up the conversation with this old man. Is there anything else you wanted to, um, to talk to him about? No, I think I think I'm good. I think Pine will mostly be looking for fresh water and soap. <laughs> In that case, you need an inn. Ebi, uh, on his on his way out, is actually going to telepathically tell Amarok to go invisible um, and follow the other Ormac and report on its position. Fantastic. Ebi is kind of dead set on trying to find an opportunity to sneak away and liberate that Ormac. Okay. And I'm right there with you, man. Very good. Um, okay. Roos and uh, Nari, you guys finish your drinks. You thank the uh, the barman again. Um, and you leave the West Bridge Inn as Ebby and Pine leave the Temple of Lord Ornithor, smelling a little bit briny, um, not feeling any cleaner. Um and your hair is wet now. And I'm assuming that you guys did the whole like speaking to each other telepathically so that you guys can decide where you want to meet up to discuss kind of what you found. The other inn, because if it has, it actually has rooms, then like maybe could get a real bath. <laughs> I don't know about you coming out of the salt water, man. I, uh, I'm chafing like crazy. Did anybody have any gold bond? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, you guys meet up right in front of the East Bridge Inn. So the streets here in Calta, they're not um, cobbles here like they are further north. These are like more of a brick pattern, um, and they're kind of like a a yellow clay brick. Um, Whereas when you were in Marlek, I I don't know if I ever described this, but the the streets there are kind of like a a more of a a orange or a red clay brick. Um, But um, definitely a difference here versus uh, further north where you do a lot of cobbles. But you meet up out here in front of the East Bridge Inn. And this is a, it's a larger building. It has like a a plaster walls. It has um, some stone around the the base of it. It seems like a very well-built building. It has these large bay windows you can look in and you can see like the bar and you can see like the reception desk area where you first walk in. Um, And there are people coming in and out. At this point, it's um, approaching like an early lunch hour. Um, and so uh, people are coming in here to get their, their midday meals. And really quick, anybody of our patrons who can access the wiki or the maps, if you go and check out the preview image of the East Bridge Inn, you might notice some little Easter eggs. Where it's kind of the three quarters view. <laughs> I love yeah. it. That's amazing. I like the bulletin board. <laughs> All right. Um, As you guys walk into the East Bridge Inn, um, you can see that it it opens up into like this kind of a, there's a counter right in front of you with a book. Uh, It looks like there's a, this is where like the the innkeep will sit to like sign people in and out for their rooms. There's a little cabinet behind the counter that has like keys to different rooms. And there's a staircase um, on the west side of the building that goes up to a second floor. Um, and then over, um, as you enter to the right, to the, uh, to the eastern side of the building, you can see that there is a long bar with a lot of stools. There's some tables that are set up and there is a stage. There's nobody performing currently, but um, it looks like this is um, 
where a lot of people come to meet and um, kind of hang out, uh, spend some time. Uh, and it seems uh, for Nari and Roost, a much more pleasant uh, place than the seedier, um, more rundown uh, West Bridge Inn. But pleasant is really a matter of opinion. Yeah, there's no Spoonie Bard here, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there is no Spoonie Bard here. Wait, is the Spoonie Bard in Calta? No. <laughs> How do I get Pine to come direct, like, first things first, come in here and immediately ask the, the guy behind the counter, this Ted Wood playing here tonight? You're like the, the deadheads, but you're the, the Ted heads. That's right. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Uh, that's fantastic. The innkeeper shakes his head and says, no, we've been trying to get Tedward here uh, for years, and he, he's just too busy. I hear he's in Elmar. Ooh. An extended... I, I hear he's got a permanent gig, yes. Oh, not like Celine Dion in, in Vegas. <laughs> yes, he's definitely pulling a Celine Dion or Britney Spears. Didn't she have a Vegas show for a while? Carrot Top. More of a Carrot Top. More of a Carrot Top, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he definitely has the Carrot Top energy. <laughs> All right, so you guys can pull up a seat at the bar. It looks like there's some tables that are still available um, kind of in the main common room. Um, the innkeep asks, um, are you dining with us today? Actually, I'd just love to have you run a bath for me. Oh, a, a bath. Um, we do that upstairs, and that's done um, in your room. So are you getting a room? No. I think we'll all take a room for the night. We might as well stick around. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we might have some, uh, some, some business before we can leave Kalta. Yeah, we might as well discuss things. Oh, really? Okay. I guess we're taking rooms. How many rooms? One for each of you? Anybody want to double up? I mean, yes, I suppose Pine and I could could share a room again, just like old times. Well, I was th- I, I, you know, I lately I've been snoring a lot, so I think I'll have a room to myself. But but Roos may need to double up. <laughs> well, I mean, if he needs like a companion, I guess I guess I'm willing to. <laughs> considers. <laughs> so the keep says, okay, three rooms. <laughs> and he hands you three keys and he says, and good sir, I'll I'll have a bath drawn up right away. It should be ready within 45 minutes. Oh, wonderful. I worshiped at the the new temple in town and I'm I'm craving a ceviche. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Raw fish. Chopped up, served with lime. It's delicious. It's really good. It actually can be super delicious, yeah. He, he kind of motions over to the other counter and he says, oh, uh, food orders can be taken over there. That's fine. Unless you would like a private dining room, then I can arrange that as well. Private dining sounds nice. Let me see if we have one of... Yes, actually, we do. The East Room is available. All right. Hey, everybody, let's go private dine. Like fancy people. That will be five gold pieces up front, but meals included. That's not too bad. I, I'd be happy to cover that. The one person who's definitely not eating. Also, I do have a ton of money, so if we need to cover anything, I don't He hears you say that, and he's like, I mean 15 gold pieces. (laughs) I have a lot of money, so that's fine. All right, um, he leads you back to a a dining room. It's uh, it's kind of... uh, uh, there's a hallway that heads straight to the back of the of the inn here on this first floor, and then there's 
two doors, uh, one across from the other. And he opens up the one to the right. And you can see there is a nice dining room. It's about, it's actually quite large. It's 25 feet across, like 15, 20 feet um, uh, the other direction. <laughs> There's paintings on the walls. Um, and there is a table and it is already set. And uh, he sets you up in here and he says, uh, your server will be along shortly. And then he closes the door. Excellent. There's also a door on the other side of the room. So this room, actually, this dining room has two doors, one going back out into the hallway and the other door going, you're not sure where. You know, Pine, if I could ask you, and perhaps the others, they might be able to answer this. Why is it that the gratuity portion of the meal is always such a touchy subject? Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's maybe that's how things are done here in Alma, but in Menarest, you know, if you tip somebody, they actually are offended because they assume that you think they're not going to do a good job unless you pay them extra. All right, you are in this room. There is a nice rug on the floor underneath this table. Um, the cutlery looks, I mean, it's its silver. It's uh, its well made. There's like a nice candlestick on the table. Um, just a very nicely appointed room. And as you guys are sitting in here, or as you enter in, you realize this is probably the nicest inn in town. And I have one quick question for um, Ebby. Um, Ebby, how far can Amarok communicate to you telepathically? Amarok, I can sense with the familiar senses as long as they're within one mile of me. One mile. I think that that will make it. Okay, cool. That's my only thing I wanted to ask. Before Nari sits down, she will kind of peek through this back door and just, you know, see what's going on behind there. Um, as you head towards the door, you get close and you can actually barely through this thick um, mahogany door, you can actually hear the sounds of kitchen staff. Uh, and you imagine this door leads, it's a, another entrance into the kitchen. And as you open the door, a little crack, you can actually smell the food, the smell of the food, and, and you can hear the chatter of the cooks and things uh, back in there uh, uh, preparing meals. Perfect. Ebby will go ahead and uh, tell the group about the gambling. So a funny thing, I was speaking with a man named Ivar, who is the servant or valet of the prince, a young lad, 14, 15 years old, apparently quite an avid horse rider. And he mentioned to me that there is an individual who has a, a penchant for gambling who deals in, in Ormex here in, the, in town, and that occasionally they might show up as part of the gambling stakes for the high stakes tables um, might be something worth looking into. Hmm. That's a great lead. Is it only horses or can we, could I enter maybe crumbles? Well, uh, that's a great question. You might be able to enter in crumbles. Although typically racetracks don't let you bring your own horse and then enter the races. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That okay, is right. usually frowned upon. Ebby, do you have an idea of how many Ormex this person has? Uh, from the from the sound of it, I would guess only a handful at most, two, three maybe. Um, there was another at the bathhouse as well, and I've dispatched Amarok to tail that one, to follow it, and to see you know kind of where it is and and where it goes, in hopes that we might be able to find a moment to to abscond away and liberate it as well. I'm I'm not opposed to the idea, but Anari will kind of like look sympathetically and be like, Abby, we. We can't stop and save every Ormet. Um, I'm, I, I'm not saying I'm opposed to it. I'm just, we can't stop at every city and free every single one. Well, I, I, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not proposing that we, that we save 
every one of them. Um, but certainly the ones we come across, you know, we, we should try, right? Right? We should do what we can. Of course. Of course. Yeah. I, I agree with Nari, though, and I think that's why we have our friends in the ship with us, is they're going to go out and seek out every single Ormac. But when the ones that we find, I think that should be what we do. We should go and free them. Yes. And I suppose the ones in the in the ship could could do it. I just they've never been through it before. And and what if it doesn't work for them the same way it works for me? Can I can I say something real quick? I should have said this before. You are now in Rakolia, and one of the groups, one of the Liberator groups, their plan is to leave the Allele Eagle today and head north towards Barton. So you are now down from nine Ormex, well, 10 Ormex aboard your ship, down to seven. I, I think we could definitely spare time to, um, to go to these races, but Bruce and I did find out that there are scavengers uh, and that have a hideout outside of the city that we should definitely check out. We have a lead on finding that facility. Oh, really? Because all I was told about the scavengers was to avoid them, even after I said, it's like a bucket list thing. I want to do it before I die. And they're like, no, <laughs> leave them alone. We did hear that, but uh, we also found where they, where they hang out. We were warned as well. If there is some sort of connection between this, the horse races and the Ormex that are there and the scavengers, it's possible that we might be able to find Ormex in this abandoned building. I love that we're always we're all assuming that these are horse races. There are some pretty crazy animals out there that could be racing. <laughs> That's true. I'm pretty sure Paul said horse races. I wrote it down. Oh my goodness, that, that warms my heart. Oh my gosh, wait, stop. Oh, I have a player <laughs> taking notes. That is the most wonderful thing I have ever heard. Sabrina, thank you so much. Yeah, I definitely wrote it down as horse races. <laughs> it is horse races. Yes, you are correct. Well, that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> so my plan was tonight, if anyone would like to accompany me, to go to this building and see if I can't sneak in and do a little investigating. I would love to accompany you. Uh, I'd, I'd be willing to accompany you as well. Well, I mean, I'm not going to stay home while the rest of you are having a party. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. My name's Roos. I like to party. <laughs> uh, my name's Ebby, and I like to party. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that movie. No, I know for a fact that you don't party. <laughs> Wait, what, what's that movie? It's, it's from, from Hot, Hot Rod. Rod. Oh my gosh. Oh man. All right. So the plan then for tonight is to go and check out this abandoned inn. Is that kind of what you guys were talking about? Yeah. A sneak attack. Although, Ebby, I am I am also again more than willing to go with you if if there's ever an opportunity to infiltrate this richest man in town with all the Ormex. I assume it's some kind of well appointed villa. Maybe there's some guards patrolling that keep a standard routine and if we were to knock one out, then the other ones would get surprised for a little bit and then go back to their normal routine, like on Assassin's Creed. <laughs> <laughs> or you could do like a, like a Tenchu, was it Tenchu, and just Sorry. throw out some poisoned rice? That's right. Find some rice on the ground, eat it. Oh. Gosh, I love that game. Oh, man. Hey, um, 
Jordan, can you make a um, investigation or perception check for um, Amarok? Sure. Let me pull up his stat block. He doesn't have the best. We'll do perception an 11. I'm not going to attempt to speak in Amarok's voice, but Amarok does uh, send a message to you um, telepathically. So you know that he is at least within a mile. Um, and uh, basically the message that he sends is that the Ormek uh, was accompanying a um, kind of a, a large heavy set man, um, as well as some other servants and even a guard. Um, and they traveled north after leaving the temple of Lord Ornithor and exited the kind of the city proper out through the um, through the gates and are kind of in the suburbs to the north. They approached a large wooden sprawling kind of inn and uh, the name on the inn is the Wooden Palisade. And they went inside. Got it. And uh, would you have Amarok follow inside or just kind of hang out outside or what? I think he'd probably just hang out outside, but Ebby will kind of like almost look like he's in a bit of a trance and will say, they're in an inn. There's an inn on the north outskirts of town. It was called, what was it called again? The Wooden Palisades? The Wooden Palisade. Um, yeah, so Ebby will go ahead and tell everybody that. I don't know who this person is, but he's got an Ormac with him. And I don't know that I can leave without at least trying to liberate this one. Yeah, well... I'm not sure that would be his final destination, though. It is midday, and uh, he does live in town. But uh, if Amrock can continue following, see if he goes anywhere after lunch. Yes, yes, I'll have him do that. Sorry, I'm just making some rolls, because it's fun. How many hit points does Amrock have? Uh, he has... You dirty dog. A million got 16 Ooh. 16 hit points um amarok takes a big blow um 13 damage what would amarok do if amarok got suddenly attacked while invisible would amarok bolt would amarok turn and fight i think amarok would probably turn to see the attacker but then would probably try to flee because he's just so wee uh, make a perception check again for amarok Ugh, a nine. Okay, you see uh, Amarok sees a figure tucked away in uh, a space between a building and um, and this large inn, um, kind of in an alleyway, and um, has this a rifle. Um, it's small, um, not like not big like the ones that you guys were um, seeing before, when you guys were fighting the riflemen back in Arkley. Like the one that Daffodil is currently mastering. <laughs> exactly. The large, like, um, you know, the huge musket. Like, this one's smaller. Almost like a, if you know guns, this is almost like a lever action style size 30-30, uh, like what Longmire carried. Um, so not super long. But this figure is aiming this gun at Amarok. And Amarok did not hear a single sound when that gun went off. Um, it looks like this figure is loading up something else. You Emrock ca uh, can't tell with that nine perception, like what this figure looks like, because they're all kind of cloaked and, and hood up and um, are managing to stay pretty well hidden uh, in this little nook between buildings. But before this figure then can get another shot off on Emrock, Emrock will bolt. Someone fired on him. Emrock's in danger. 
And that's where we're going to end for tonight. Thanks for playing, guys. This was a lot of fun exploring a new city, a place you guys have never been before. Um, there is a lot going on here, and it seems like you guys are just kind of scratching the surface, pulling on some strings, and um, looks like you guys have a couple of different quests out uh, ahead of you. Anyway... We know you like what we're doing, so go join our Discord. You can um, check out our Discord. The link is in the description of this episode. Come chat with us. Come um, meet some other fans. Send us your fan art. Who knows? It might end up on the wiki somewhere. You can also check out all of our maps if you become a patron. Um, that's uh, that's kind of great. Um, but until we get together next time, we hope you have a great time.